Hey, Essential Church Podcast listeners, Andrew here. Wanted to tell you about a cool little product that we've recently released. Uh, last fall, you might have heard us mention in a couple of the podcasts, we preached through the Book of Romans here as a teaching team. And it was incredibly fun and very edifying and stimulating and challenging and helpful for people. We just loved it. And one of the things that we created as a team to help our teaching team work through the book of Romans was a Romans preacher's guide. And uh, it had a nice little summary of the book of Romans, some key preaching themes. And then we actually went through every chapter and we wrote up a short summary along with like some preaching pathways and we put together a nice bibliography. It's really a cool product. Anyway, we just kind of thought that it would be neat to make it available to you all. And so we cleaned it up and we threw it online. And so you can find the Romans Preacher's Guide at Amazon and we're selling it in paperback or you can get it in the Kindle version as well. And if you're thinking about preaching the book of Romans, or praying about it or planning on preaching it, we think it'll be a great resource for you. So you can head to amazon.com and pick it up there. Now to the program. Welcome to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, along with Brady Boyd, senior pastor here at New Life Church. We want to take you today to a conversation we had recently with our friend, Ted Egley. Ted works here in Colorado Springs for the Center for Creative Leadership, an organization that works with tens of thousands of leaders across the globe, doing research-based coaching and consulting to help leaders do what they do better, which is to lead. Our conversation with Ted touched on some really important and practical bits of advice for pastors in particular, which we're sharing with you now. Enjoy. Give us a sense of how you help other organizations, especially nonprofits. How do you help them discern whether or not they're being fruitful? How do you know if their teams are doing well? Yeah. So if I distill it down, there's tons of research out there, both for the nonprofit world, but as well as uh, the for-profit world, if you will, Fortune 500 companies, et cetera. And here's what like the research says over the last 20, 30 years, if we distill it down to three things, that a high-performing, high-functioning team has. Here are three things, very simply. Number one is they celebrate wins early. Number two is they essentially, they slow down to power up. All right, we can come back to that. And then number three is they change, essentially maybe their direction based off of um, progress or lack of progress. So they're willing to change. They're willing to change. And they're, and they're built to change. Yep. And so those three elements, what the research would say is that essentially as an organization, as we think about those three things, here's high functioning, top performing teams. Here's what they do really well. They celebrate wins early, which means A, they need to know what a win looks like. Yeah. What does a win look like <laughs> right. in, let's say, volunteerism or leading a staff at church? If we don't know what the win is, then each individual defines it for themselves. So we need to clarify the win and then celebrate that early. Can you talk about what does it mean? Because every church leader I can imagine that heard you say that, they have their own idea. Does that mean we bring cake in? What does a celebration yeah. look like? I mean, is sure. it a, a day out at Chick-fil-A or is it sure. a, a day off? I mean, what <laughs> it, tell, can you define, let's dig a little deeper here. How sure. can local churches celebrate and think about churches with limited budgets, sure. limited resources. So sometimes it's easier for big mega churches or larger organizations to pull off celebrations. But it, I think you're talking about just simply acknowledging verbal affirmations even. It can be something that doesn't require any money. But can you talk about some of the best celebrations that you've heard of? 
Great question. In my experience, actually the celebrations that are most powerful, while Chick-fil-A is great and you know having cake and all that is great, the most powerful is affirming or encouraging those that have actually, they're moving, let's say, the mission forward. So an organization or a church that I'd worked for, our mission was to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as we started identifying, hey, what does that look like for us as a church community? We would celebrate and celebrate might mean from the platform acknowledging, hey, X amount of people came to church last week and came to Christ, all right? Let's celebrate that together. You're also casting vision as to what's important to us here as an organization or as a church community. And so celebrating could be also, hey, stopping someone in the hall and say, hey, Jill, that's in the children's ministry, that's back there helping, you know, with, uh, let's say, three to four-year-olds. Hey, I'd heard through the grapevine that you did X, Y, Z, and and here's how you showed up, and it had a huge impact on families. It really means that the pastors, leaders that are listening to this, have to be, number one, mindful of what's really happening in their ministries. I think a lot of times the church gets to a certain size— a lot of times a senior pastor or maybe the senior team or maybe a, the ministry leaders are not really know what's going on. And sure. so I think the bigger thing you're pointing out here is for us to be mindful and aware and attentive to those small wins. Because when we celebrate these small wins, it seems like that you can get as much momentum from celebrating small wins as you can big wins. Yep. And here's a phrase, and if you're not driving while listening to this, I'd encourage you to write this down at some point. And it's this phrase, as leaders, whether we're leading a volunteer organization or we're leading a church as pastors, here's the phrase is that we need to think big and act small. Think big and act small. And so thinking big looks like this. So I get up, I cast vision. I get up, I'm thinking strategically about, hey, how am I going to lead my staff just the next year or two or the next five years in the um, you know, organization that I'm in? And then thinking small or acting small, I should say, is more about the daily routines, about how I'm becoming in some ways like a first-class noticer of those things. And I have my ears out to the ground to make sure that I'm listening for and then acknowledging those small things. Those small things is how you show up in a volunteer meeting. Uh, Those small things are kind of this cumulative effect, if you will, of how you show up in the church community, in your community in general. Okay, so the second thing you said was really fascinating, to slow down in order to power up. Can you explain that? Because I think notoriously churches find it difficult to slow down. Right, right. We get the power up part, but what does that mean to slow down to power up? So I think, in the, especially in the age we're in of living kind of this hurried life, I think we have propensity to be distracted and not slow down enough to really kind of look at the landscape of how's the team doing, getting a pulse on where the organization's at, or let's say an initiative or a campaign that we're trying to drive through to the church community and assess the landscape in order to what? As we're assessing the landscape, we're looking and saying, hey, are we hitting the goals that we've set? Hey, are there adjustments that we need to make? Are we you know, heading in the right direction? Are we aligned? Are we committed to the same things as a staff? or as a church community. I think those times to give ourselves kind of that white space or that space to slow down actually helps us to be more thoughtful and intentional to power back up and jump back into whatever goal or effort that we're trying to drive forward. 
The problem with pastors is that Sundays come around with an alarming regularity, and it seems like that we go from one Sunday and we wake up on Monday realizing that Sunday's coming, right? So can you talk to pastors about how to build that time in? Because really, we only have about five or six days in between episodes, so to speak. You know, we have a Sunday sermon, a Sunday worship time, and then you have another one coming. How do you build that space in when our schedule's already compacted so tightly together? Right. Can you give some ideas on that? Yeah. So I'm a big proponent of routines and rituals, is being intentional about the script that you're writing for your week, your month, and let's say your year, which means that you know rituals and routines are going to be critical for you as a pastor, as a leader to set up so you're not pulled by the emergency of the day. And so what that could simply look like is, hey, every morning you set up 30 minutes and that 30 minutes looks like you journaling and being more strategic and thoughtful about the week or how you're going to show up with maybe things that are already scheduled uh, with those that are you're meeting with, whether it's volunteer leaders or, or what have you. But being really intentional about making sacred those routines and rituals um, in your week. Brady, I'm curious, just if I can bump this to you for a second, what kind of monthly or annual sort of rituals or patterns do you have for drawing back to assess where the team is at and and what kinds of changes that you'd like to make? How do you handle that as a pastor? Well, I tell pastors all the time, if they're preaching every Sunday, that's a mistake. And a lot of pastors (laughs) that I know are preaching 46 to 48 Sundays a year. And I think that's a mistake. First of all, it's hard to be creative and it's hard to have 46 good sermons. Let's Mm -hmm. just be honest. If we preach 46 times, only about 30 of them are great. That's right. I'm being honest about myself. You can't do that because if you are preaching that often, you don't have the time that Mm -hmm. Ted is talking about. I take advantage of the Sundays. When I know I'm not preaching the next Sunday, I actually use that week to do Mm -hmm. exactly what Ted is talking about because we know that when we're leading a church, we do more than preach on Sunday. We're actually leading yes. a volunteer organization, and we're leading, uh, even if it's a small team, most of us are leading some kind of team that's paid staff and a large team of volunteers, plus we're preaching on Sundays. Mm. So on a week that I am not preaching, where I'm not having to do study prep, that's the week where I tend to pull back, where I look at what's happening at the church. I use that for planning. I use it for leadership development. I tend to spend more time with some of the leadership issues in the church because I'm not having to prepare Mm. to preach. I think pastors that are preaching too much are not going to be able to do both well. Something's going to suffer if you're preaching every single week and then you're still expected to lead at a high level. One of those two things is going to Mm -hmm. suffer. If you're Mm -hmm. preaching too much, you're probably leading too little. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a good way of thinking about that. So Ted, you've talked about just going through your three things, celebrating the wins early, Mm -hmm. slowing down, in order to power up, power up. I love that. And then the third thing has to do with change. Talk about that for a second. So making changes based off progress or a lack of progress. And so what, again, I think it's around this whole space of being intentional about it, making space for it, evaluating, how are we doing based on the goals we've set forth? Are we making progress? If we're not making progress, then what adjustments do we need to make? And again, it's being intentional about those pieces. And again, tying it back to, you know, what the research would say, here are the three elements that over time, those that are successful in high-performing teams or leading teams, these are the three elements they're intentional about in integrating within how they're leading whatever space you're leading in. 
Well, one of the things that's notorious about churches, to use that word again, notorious, but churches are slow to change. I mean, churches are slow to adapt to new models. Churches uh, have sacred cows that need to be slaughtered, and they find it difficult, you know, because my grandma started this, and now we have to stop this. I always tell people that a famous politician said, don't waste a crisis. But I think that's true about a church. I mean, let me give you an example of that. When I came to New Life 11 years ago, we had this thing on Halloween called Hallelujah Night. Not because we celebrated Halloween, because we didn't, but we did dress up in costumes and give candy to children. (laughs) But we didn't celebrate Halloween. I want to make that clear. But it was called Hallelujah Night, which is by far the cheesiest church name I'd ever heard in my life. Well, the very next year, because we had gone through quite a bit of crisis here at the church, our budget dropped. Our giving declined a little bit Mm. uh, because of the crisis we were going through. And I remember sitting in a meeting, and I thought, this is my chance, because we really can't afford to do Hallelujah Night, and I was so ready to get rid of that anyway. And using those opportunities, when you see an opportunity to make a change that's necessary, do it. Do it. Right. Have the courage to make the changes. And I remember sitting in a meeting and saying, guys, we cannot afford to do Hallelujah Night, so we're not doing it this year. So taking (laughs) advantage of opportunities to make the changes necessary when you have those opportunities. Be opportunistic about change. A quote that I love, as we think about models that many times we can become married to, right? Or activities or different things that worked for a period of time. We as in the church community and leading churches, as well as in the business community, is the phrase, which is this, we're married to the mission and we date the model. I love We're not married to the model and date the mission, which means the model is going to change. You date that that model, right? It's going to change. And so what happens is we can get stuck with a model that maybe at one point in time actually made sense for the church community and acknowledging that. But where we're at, maybe because of growth, maybe because of some of, you know, challenges within the community itself or because of budget. There's multiple reasons that model doesn't work anymore, but we're married to the mission as a church community or we're married to the mission as a organization in Fortune 500 or wherever. So Ted, we, before the podcast started, we were talking a little bit about some leaders that you were working with recently where you sat down with them. And one of the questions that you asked them was, if you were starting your organization today, what would you stop doing right. that you're currently doing? Or flip side, what would you start doing that you're not doing right now? And I think that most pastors are kind of in that boat too, where if you, and they could answer it quickly when you ask them the question, right. they knew exactly what they would start doing or stop doing. And I think most pastors are in that same boat that if you ask them, what do you need to start doing or what do you need to stop doing? They can say it. It's not for lack of understanding about what they should do. For the most part, it seems to me that it's a lack of the requisite ability or stamina to see change through. So Brady, you talked a second ago about not wasting a crisis, right? Or striking when the iron's hot. But can we talk about maybe a few more practical things for pastors out there? Like how do you, once you've seen the thing and you know that you need to lead the church towards change, how do you do that? And how do you lead through the resistance that will come about? And there will be resistance to change. Well, the pain of staying the same has to be greater than the pain of change. You know, it's oftentimes the pain. You know, so with the pain of change is there. I mean, there is no easy way around change. Every change you make inside the local church is going to be painful. Uh, but pastors have to decide if the pain of staying the same is is worth it. Or is this worth the pain that's going to come from this? I think there is a false assumption that it's going to be more painful than it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, most pastors, once they make the change and get through the initial shock of announcing a change, 
they find that the perceived pain was not near as great as the actual pain. And so I just find that pastors, once they make those courageous first steps mm. and explain it clearly to why we're making changes, they're relieved. It brings a great deal of relief to the organization. That's and there will always be a few, uh, what I've always found is that the minority of voices that are causing me, you know, criticizing it, we're actually a small group of people. Most That's people right. are with you. Most people see what you see. That's right. And while there may be a few loud people that criticize or complain about a change that's necessary, don't let that small minority of loud voices keep good. you from making the wise choices that you have to make. I just have always found that I regret moving too slow and I've, mm. and I regret moving too fast mm. too. But I don't regret making changes that were necessary. Long term, you will reap the benefit of it, in my opinion. That's very good. And you know, something I had shared with you, Pastor Brady, a few weeks ago was I just admire your courage because I know you've made some tough decisions even while I've been here for the last couple of years, and it does take a lot of courage. And so it's interesting when dealing with change, there's always like three groups of people and you just highlight it. So there's resistors, you're always gonna have them. And the second is fence sitters. And then you have that third group that's just gonna accept it. And many times we focus on how is the resistors going to take it? How are they going to, and really our focus should be on the folks that are on the fence. They're looking for you to influence them, to push them toward, hey, this is why we need to change and we need to change now, right? Yeah, I mean, leadership means that you're out front oftentimes, right. that you're having to make the initial conversation that as leaders, I have to bring up. I know in our eldership, we have a group of elders here, and I know that my role in that meeting is to bring up the tough decisions that mm. are in front of us. And so oftentimes in those meetings, I'll say, listen, let me tell you what's going to happen this year. Mm. Here are three or four things that we're going to have to decide and give them time to process it. I think what causes a lot of pain for leaders is when they surprise people. Mm -hmm. But there's a way of preparing people for the changes Good. that are coming by starting the conversations early and often with a core group of influencers, getting their buy-in because they will weigh in, you know, if they, they if they weigh in, they will buy in, right? So give them a chance to speak into the process, but let them know a change is coming. I, right. I had this, we had an elders meeting last night and I talked to them about a change that's coming here at New Life. And it was a good change. It's a positive change. But I know if I surprise those guys with that and say, hey, tomorrow we're going to make this change, then that creates unneeded drama for me. Well said. But if I give them 60 days or 90 days, or in this case, I think it's going to be about six months, I said, in six months from now, here's a change that's going to start happening. And what do you think? I want you to pray about this with me. Help me with the wisdom of this decision. And so now I've involved them. That's great. So when the time comes for that change to happen, and it's not a cataclysmic change, it's not a major change, but it's going to cause some aggravation and angst sure. with a group of people. Now they've had a chance to process it with me. That's right. And actually to own it with me. You're reminding me of a kind of an illustration I give. It's called the marathon effect. Marathon effect is this. If you think about a marathon, so let's say the Boston Marathon, some bigger marathons, where do the elite runners usually start? Where are they usually at? In the out front. front. They're out front. All right. And um, what's their view? The they have just rope pavement in front of them. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. let's say in beautiful Colorado, there's a big marathon. All right. Let's say the same number of people and it's going up Pikes Peak. What is their view? Beauty, horizon, all the, these different things. So typically what happens as leaders is the gun goes off, the elite runners, we're senior leaders are up front, all right? Whether the, we're leading a church, we're leading a department, et cetera. We're out front and we forget about the folks that are behind us. What is the view of the people behind the elite runners? 
the backsides of the elite runners. And so as senior leaders are thinking about change and driving change, we have to think about the folks that are behind us. As we're leading, we need to make sure that we're communicating with them early and often and bring them along. But many times what happens is we've crossed the finish line as elite runners and we're over there celebrating and high-fiving over at the, you know, the tent and getting our t-shirt. And some folks are still halfway, you know, haven't even got the halfway point in the marathon. So as leaders, what you just highlighted, I think was great, Pastor Brady, which is, hey, I'm bringing the board along. I'm bringing those around me along, knowing that this change is coming. So as we think about leading our church and those leaders that are a part of the church community, be it volunteers or staff, how are we bringing them along and how are we communicating them in such a way that they feel a part of the change? Brady, aren't we talking about feedback here? The mechanisms we have in place to judge how our decisions are being received, whether people we lead are tracking with us. What have you learned about feedback? Well, this may sound a bit trite, but actually you can judge it by giving. I mean, Mm. when people are with you, they give to the organization, they give to the church. Now, we obviously, we believe that giving is a spiritual act. Giving should not be based on some kind of performance. But quite honestly, giving does reflect people's hearts and whether or not they believe in the mission of the church. So when I found when giving is good and when people are investing, they see God at work, they see ministry that's being helpful, they will give to that church that they belong to. And that's a good indication as a leader that you have goodwill, that you have trust, because people don't give to churches that they don't trust. And so you can almost gauge the trust level by attendance and giving, and I think that reveals attitude and belief and whether or not you have the equity to ask for a change. And secondly, uh, if pastors that don't have lunches and meetings with members of the church, if you don't smell like sheep, you can't lead sheep, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're not around people that you're leading, if you're not walking through their neighborhoods and having conversations. I was with a key leader today at lunch, mm-hmm. and he's a high-level leader here in our city. He leads another organization, but he's a member of our church. So I was asking him some leadership questions today and getting his opinion on a few things. And he was quick to give me his opinion and his input, and it was very, very helpful to hear his perspective on something that I've been wrestling with. And uh, he's involved in an area of the church that I've been thinking about. And I said, well, tell me what your thoughts are. And I think if we don't stop and ask those questions, I think the best question we can ask is, what do you you think? Hmm. What are your thoughts? And when you get that kind of feedback, and when people feel like they've been heard, I think they're quicker to invest in in where you're taking them. Mm -hmm. So good. It's really good. Well, we're just about out of time, guys. I want to ask just as a kind of a closing question, Ted, you have been in the church world, the nonprofit world, corporate world, you've been everywhere. So leadership is kind of in your bones. What is the one thing that you wish pastors would do from a leadership standpoint that you don't see enough of them doing? I would say in the age of distraction, and information coming at us like crazy, and we're trying to resolve things, whether it's in the church community, business community, et cetera, is slowing down. Slowing down and looking in the mirror and reflecting and saying, hey, how am I showing up? This one gentleman named Dihaku who started Visa, he said this, he says, 50% of your leadership is self-leadership. How are you leading yourself? And all the other aspects of leading down, leading up, but really it's about, hey, am I looking in the mirror and really being honest with where I'm at and how I'm showing up and how my staff might be experiencing me. Um, That's probably what I would say the one thing. It's amazing. Thanks for being with us today, Ted. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you very much. 
Well, Essential Church Podcast listeners, that episode marks the end of season two. I think it's been a pretty great season. We've enjoyed some of the feedback that we've gotten from you around episodes that you liked and conversations that you found helpful. We hope that you'll take some time this summer to listen to some of our old episodes and share them with friends or people that you know that are in ministry. And you can look for us again in mid-August with season three.